This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome to the Cosmo Happy Hour. It's everything you would talk about with your best friends, from sex to celebrity to entertainment. From the editors of Cosmopolitan.com, this is the Cosmo Happy Hour with Elisa Benson. Let's talk about porn. This is Cosmopolitan.com, so I feel like we actually do like talk about porn basically every episode of the podcast. But today we're sort of talking about, I don't know if darker side is the right word, but what happens if you are addicted to porn and can you even be addicted to porn? The American Psychiatric Association, good old APA, says that there isn't even enough evidence to support a diagnosis for porn addiction. But women in real life are seeking treatment for it. So where do you stand? I'm Elisa Benson. This is Cosmopolitan.com's Happy Hour podcast, and we are talking about porn addiction. Joining me on the panel today is Cosmopolitan.com's senior sex and relationship editor and frequent podcast visitor extraordinaire, Allie Drucker. Hi, Allie. Hi, Elisa. How are you? <laughs> Good. How are you? Good. Um, we always, Allie, I mean, obviously it's your job covering all things sex and relationship, but it's, I, it's always the most extreme episodes where you're our special guest star. I love it. I wouldn't have it any other way. <laughs> Call me for your orgy and your porn needs. Right. Exactly. Um, so jumping right into this idea of addiction, because even though we're being all like light, laughing, joking, cosmo porn addiction is a little like, ooh, yeah. I don't know what to say about it. I mean, it's a little amorphous. The research is still kind of inconclusive at this point. You know, it like doesn't have quite the same neurological, you know, brain makeup as a drug addiction, but there are people who they found their relationship with porn like really disrupts their lives in a way they can't stop. So for them, you know, even if doctors aren't going to call it that, it feels like a real addiction. Right. And does it matter if it's considered a real addiction, if this is something that's affecting your ability to live your right. whole like, life? Right. Like what is real if it's affecting you? That makes it real. Right. So there are kind of two schools of thought, I guess you could say on this. One is that society is to blame. We see sex everywhere. So porn addiction is inevitable and porn is bad. And then there's the counter argument where we sort of blame, I guess, different sort of, uh, I don't even know how to say this, maybe we're blaming a religion or shaming sex positivity or saying that religion has associated guilt to anything sex-related because it's a sin. Um, and that these are sort of these two, I guess, schools of thought. One is that porn can be inherently bad or dangerous for people, and one is that it's sort of about the shame that we associate it with as a as a society. Do either of those kind of stand out to you as being, you know, things that you've heard come up as you've written articles and, you know, thought about this? Yeah, I mean, only in my personal opinion and what I've seen, I think a lot of it has to do with your upbringing. And I'm like not super quick to subscribe that to any particular religion or a school of thought there, but it really has to do with 
the way you've been brought up around it. Like if your mom tells you you can't have these cookies until after dinner and you see the cookies and you want the cookies, knowing that you can't have them makes it so much more desirable, right? So if you steal one before dinner, you're bound to have feelings of guilt or feelings like you're doing something wrong associated with it. In the reality, like the cookie's not really going to hurt you either way before or after dinner, but it's what you think about it. It's what you've been told about it that can kind of shape the way you experience it. You know, if you find yourself feeling all this shame, like, oh, I've done something so awful, I I have to get this off my chest, but yet it still feels good and you still like it, you're going to keep coming back to it, but it's going to be a really complex, fraught situation for you. And I think since the the dawn of porn's time or something like that, to like make up a terrible phrase, I mean, I think this idea of is porn bad, is porn problematic has always been a part of the conversation. But in some ways, the idea of porn addiction feels a little more recent because we know that people have more access to porn than they ever had before. Right, for sure. I think the dawn of the internet age of porn has definitely increased our access, increased if it's like... It's, you know, it's everywhere. It's ubiquitous. And if you have a constant supply, like before when it was just magazines, you could probably only have so many at a time. You could literally be looking at porn now 24 hours a day if you were so inclined when that hasn't always been the case. Right. And like, again, I'm sure porn addiction in some form has always been talked about, but it just I think we can all understand even people that are on the fence about whether or not they personally think that a porn addiction is a real thing. There's something a little harder to understand about the idea of being addicted to porn in a magazine versus, you know, the way that you can consume it on the internet. Yeah, like think about Netflix binging. Have you ever felt that you were like addicted to a series? Every day of my life. Exactly, because it's so readily available and you always have that option. Like, do you want to keep watching? Right. It's like, yeah, I do. What else am I doing? Right, right, right. Do you want to keep watching porn? Oh my gosh, we are taking things in a totally weird direction. <laughs> Sorry, guys. But we, but as always, as always, but we have a lot of guests coming up on the podcast today that are going to help us unpack all of this. So let's go ahead and get our first guest on the phone. Our first guest is a reader who is actually in recovery for porn addiction, and she is going to share her story. Hi, Lauren. Hello, hello. So good to talk to you guys. So good to talk to you, too. Um, Our episode today is all about porn addiction. We have done many episodes of the podcast about porn and porn stars, and today we're sort of talking about the I guess, the flip side of it. So, Lauren, you entered recovery for porn addiction when you were 21. Can you walk us through your journey from when you were first introduced to porn to when it became an addiction? Yes, of course. Honestly, the beginning years are a blur for me. I remember discovering masturbation really early on in my life, probably around the age of 12. Uh, From there, I was really going online, printing out porn that I found arousing and then hiding it in my closet. And you know what? Of course, my mom found it on on different occasions, and I frankly just ended up blaming it on my brother and just brushing it off. Yeah. Really early on, I remember anxiously waiting for my parents to leave the house so I could go online and watch porn since the computer was in my living room. Um, And I mean, at the end of the day, my friends and I even watched porn together, but the issue was I needed it, and they were just curious. So overall, I mean, porn helped me escape from the realities of my school, myself, and friends. And what do you, when you say that you needed it, what do you mean? I, I think for me, it was the act of disconnecting from the world that I lived in. Um, I lived, I grew up in a very toxic Christian environment where it was very black and white thinking, where women's value was in their sexual purity. And I feel like I should explain this for the people who didn't grow up religious. What I mean that by that is that people are saving themselves for marriage, not having sex till they're married or even not having kissing someone. 
so I grew up in a world where sex is so taboo. Um, and for me, masturbation and pornography really disconnected me from reality. And it was something that helped me numb away from stress, insecurities. I mean, I feel like everything that a teenage girl goes through, I was trying to avoid. Um, were you specifically told, you know, did you have that idea that it was wrong to masturbate and wrong to look at porn? A hundred percent. A hundred percent. I mean, I feel like my entire existence was living in shame and guilt. I remember it was a constant guilt cycle for me. It was, I mean, I grew up doing theater. I was a very outgoing boy, crazy girl. But I remember being like, oh, I have to be in a play. That doesn't mean I can't go home and masturbate and watch porn. I like constantly was living in my head and was disappointed that I had these distractions. And it was this terrible cycle of, you know, six months of I'm not going to masturbate. I'm not going to watch porn. I'm going to be, you know, I'm going to be healthy. This addiction is going to go away. And then six months later, something bad would happen and I would just end up in this slippery slope. So I feel like I constantly, you know, for 10 years of my life was living in isolation and, and living in shame. Was there a moment, you know, I think we, we've been, I think it's so um, accustomed to think about addiction in terms of something like drug or al- drugs or alcohol in a moment of hitting rock bottom. Was there a moment for you where you really felt like I have to get help? This is rock bottom. Honestly, I think it was a slow process for me rather than a rock bottom. I think, you know, for me, the big tipping point was, um, you know, I had this boyfriend that I was crazy about. And when we were hooking up, I was very disconnected from my body. And I felt so much shame for that. Um, And I finally, you know, had the courage to share with him, like, hey, I'm watching porn regularly. Um, And he ended up saying to me, like, hey, I, I feel like you're cheating on me. And I mean, his look of... I don't know, disappointment killed me inside. Uh, and it really, it made me never want to let someone in because I felt so much embarrassment and shame for my actions. And it honestly postponed me seeking help because I thought, oh, no one's ever going to love me. I'm not going to be able to find help. But after, you know, having that realization and a couple of years later, I went to college thousands of miles away and I really thought, you know, this addiction is going to leave me watching porn. I'm not going to need it anymore, but it followed me far away. And I finally had this moment where I was so sick of living in shame and feeling guilty for my actions. I walked into therapy, which ended up being the best decision I've ever made because I've now eight years sober because of, you know, finding my sobriety at 21. Congratulations. That's amazing. I do want to ask, I do want to ask you because it's, I think it, I think it's amazing that you're talking about this and it's, you know, I think not something, especially that we hear women talk about very often. Um, But I, I sort of am curious about, you know, your addiction and, you know, you you saying that you were so sick of feeling the shame around these things. So on one hand, it was doing these things and feeling shame for them and sort of maybe having sexual experiences with partners and feeling like there was shame attached to that. But then it also sounds like it also sounds like part of what you wanted to get treatment for was this feeling that you said earlier of needing to do it. And in some ways, those things feel slightly at odds to me. Does that make any sense? Yes, a little bit. I feel like, yes, it does. You know, it's funny because, you know, alcoholics, like they need to drink, they need to drink. And for me, it was like, I I remember so clearly sitting in school living in my head being like I just need to go home and watch pornography and I feel like I'm crazy saying that but it was this like I need it but it's funny because at the time like I was so used to living that life it did not dawn upon me that it wasn't Hmm. like that something was wrong that that it was toxic that it was a behavior that I shouldn't be dependent on 
I think the beautiful thing that I found in recovery is I know that sexuality is a beautiful part of being a human and a part of way of connecting with people. And I've had to work really hard in reshaping my belief around that. Do you think it's been a huge crux of the past eight years? Do you think your relationship to porn would have been different had your upbringing been different? Oh, that is something I go back and forth of. You know, a part of recovery is really understanding your family of origin, understanding right. where you're from. Right. Um, and as time goes on, I think I have family members who deal with this. Um, it wasn't something that was very clear to me till I got older. Um, so I think it's a combination of it possibly being something that's genetic, as well as, um, yes, you know, living in a world where it was taboo. But honestly, I, I feel like this was just part of my story. Like, I feel like there was no way of avoiding it. Right. I really do. Like, I, I, I don't know. I honestly haven't really thought that much about that. So what is your personal stance now on porn? Like, obviously, this is something that you've had to deal with. But do you take a stance like no one should ever watch porn ever or more like it's just not for me? Oh, that's a good question. So I, it's not a black or white scenario or right or wrong. I think it just depends on your relationship to it. You know, for me, I knew it was taking me away from my relationships and responsibilities. So I think the real key is having awareness around pornography if it's something that you want to add to your life. Um, so I personally do not watch porn, but it's funny because my therapist has challenged me to watch it and test out those boundaries. <laughs> you know, at first I felt like I was breaking my sobriety, but what I really realized was that it was time for me to explore my sexuality and figure out what meets my needs and what's not, what does not. But, you know, at the end of the day, I do not watch porn, but I do not have a problem with it at all. Are you interesting? Open? Yeah, I think that's really interesting. And are you open to the possibility that, like, maybe you? I don't. I don't know the right way to say this. Like, are you open to the possibility that, like, maybe you would be with a partner, or maybe you would be in a relationship where you could use this in a positive way again? Oh yes, a hundred percent. I'm telling you, it's like it is a 180 for me in my view of you know sexuality. At first, I thought. You know, when I started tampering again with my sexuality, because I'm telling you, there was like dormant years of me avoiding intimacy at all costs. Like, I just didn't want to be part of it. I was so upset that I felt broken. But for me today, it, I feel like it's, I have this clean, beautiful slate that I've worked so hard for. You know, I've worked so hard to reframe my belief system around sexuality. And so if that was something my partner and I wanted to do, 100% I would be open to it. 100%. What do you think is the biggest misconception about porn addiction? <laughs> yeah, I think there's this typical stereotype that it's a man sitting at home alone masturbating the day away or, you know, it's someone <laughs> who's a, a child molester, honestly. But the fact is 8% of Americans are sex addicts. And you know what? Some of us are women and we're fully functioning humans. You know, at the time when I sought recovery, talking about females dealing with porn addiction was rare. And I ended up in um, Sex Addiction Anonymous and one of was one of the four women in the state of Alabama seeking help and uh, sorry, and just seeking help. And on top of it, I was the only one under the age of, you know, 30. So I, today I, I'm so grateful to see that there's so many programs popping up for women specifically because they are a part of this demographic dealing with, you know, porn and sex addiction. Um, and I think that, you know, the conversation is changing compared to where it was in 2008 when I sought help. And Lauren, are you, what's your relationship status now? Are you in a relationship? Are you dating? Oh, that's a good question. <laughs> yeah, um, I am, I'm trying to figure out what dating looks like, you know, have, being busy today with a career. Um, it's something that it hasn't been a number one priority for me because I feel like I've had so much 
things to work on myself, but I'm probably at the most healthiest place that I've ever been in my entire life. And I'm excited to date. I'm excited to explore what sexuality looks like in recovery, but it's been a very, very slow process. Uh, something I learned right when I entered therapy is when people entered for, you know, porn and sex addiction, they go from having a compulsive behavior to completely turning it off and losing mm-hmm. all sex drive. And I was stuck in this, they call it, you know, sexual anorexia. I was stuck there for five years. Like I could not get out of it. Where's the life of me? Um, but, you know, through having the right therapist, I've really been able to figure out what this healthy sexuality look like for me. So I feel like a day at a time. Talk to me tomorrow. I might have a different. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that's exactly how I feel about my love life, too. Talk to me tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, I'll have a right. answer. <laughs> well, Lauren, thank you so much for sharing your story with us. And I think everything you said it better than I even could. But I think that this is something that people do not feel do not associate with being something that women and especially young women, you know, deal with. So I think it's amazing that you're sharing your story. Um, And I guess the last thing I wanted to ask, which is kind of one of the ways, one of the themes we're discussing on the show is like, what would you say to people that say porn addiction isn't real? (laughs) I laugh while you ask me that question. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good answer. (laughs) I laugh. I I think, you know, I am so... I am frustrated by people who feel like they have the right to say what is an addiction and what is not. I think for, I view addiction as something, you know, there's food addiction. There is, I mean, I think someone could be addicted to TV. I think it's the act of disconnecting from your world and not wanting to numb out, not wanting to be present. And I think for me, that defines addiction. And if that's taking you away from your career, your responsibilities from your love life, then it's an addiction. Mm -hmm. So if I'm going off that philosophy, then a hundred percent porn is, an addiction. And for Pete's sakes, there's books written about it. I go to the Center for Healthy Sex. It is, you know, I I think for me, to each his own, but, you know, there's a lot of people in this world that are disconnecting and living unhealthy lives by watching porn. So, yeah, I feel like that is my passionate response to that question. Um, Yeah. That makes, that, I totally hear you. Very well said. Well, thank you so much, Lauren. I really appreciate it. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you for letting me share my story. I appreciate it, too. Thank you. Bye, girl. All right. Bye. I'm going to take a quick break, just a real little short intermission here to talk about Avon Books and the trouble with mistletoe. I'm really excited about this, you guys, so stick with me. When Keen Winter walks into Willa Davis's pet shop with his great aunt's feline from hell, he's sure that the drop-dead gorgeous pet store owner he's never seen before is mad at him. She's sure that he needs a kitty sitter. But the last thing Willa needs is to rescue a guy who doesn't even remember her. If she has her way, he'll get nothing but coal in his stocking. Unless he tempers naughty with a special kind of nice. The Trouble with Mistletoe, a Heartbreaker Bay novel from New York Times bestselling author Jill Shalvis, is available now wherever books are sold. And now, I'm very excited to read you a passage from The Trouble with Mistletoe. She was freezing. I forgot my jacket this morning. No, don't give me yours, she said when he made to take his off. So instead, he spread it open and wrapped as much of it around her as possible, chest to chest, thighs to thighs, and everything in between mashed up against each other all cozy-like. Except it didn't feel cozy. It felt sexy as hell. It would have taken more control than she had to keep her hands to herself. She wrapped herself around him, letting her fingers trail up the sculpted muscles of his back. At her touch, his gaze met hers, dark and heated. Oh boy, she was in trouble here. 
That's a passage from The Trouble with Mistletoe, a Heartbreaker Bay novel from New York Times bestselling author Jill Shalvis, available wherever books are sold. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. Joining us on the line now is former Playboy model and actress Pamela Anderson and her rabbi slash counselor, Rabbi Shmoli, who have both taken a strong stance against porn. Hi, Pam. Hi, Rabbi. How are you guys? Uh, Well, thank you for having us. Thank you guys so much. Hi. Thank you so much for calling in. Um, Our episode of the Cosmopolitan.com podcast today is all about porn addiction. And, you know, Pam, you obviously wrote a really interesting piece about this just recently um, for The Wall Street Journal. So can you can you guys talk a little bit about sort of give like the two sentence overview on the piece and what your position is on porn? Yeah, well, it's great to be on with you guys. Um, Here we are discussing uh, pornographic addiction all the presidential races being dominated by questions of how men treat women, uh, Bill Clinton, uh, 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 Donald Trump. Uh, women today are portrayed as a means to an end. It's not as if they exist as equals with their own ambitions, dreams, drives. They are rather the libidinous man's plaything. They exist to give men sexual excitement. And when men are conditioned to see women that way through being subject to constant pornographic images, that women are only there for their means, it becomes almost impossible for men to relate to them. You really begin to pay a price in terms of men's ability to, to be in healthy, loving relationships, to treat men with, women with respect. So we're, we're creating a culture where it's kind of the, the, the feminist nightmare. We wanted a world where women are appreciated for their minds, for their hearts, yeah, and their bodies, and attractiveness. We're not prudes. We're not here... Uh, arguing for some sort of a, a um, moral code that says that sex and love and eroticism aren't exciting. We're saying the exact right. opposite. Sex we're saying that you have you, you, <laughs> exactly. We're saying yeah. you have you have sexual excitement and erotic attraction that's electrifying when you have someone that you love and respect and, and you're committed to exclusively. But when you see them as beneath you and you mistreat them, you're never going to have any of that, and it just ends up a relationship of degradation. And and I think that's a really great intro and you raise a lot of really great points right off the bat. And I guess my first sort of, I guess, follow up question to that would be what about feminist porn or what about porn that's specifically created with some of the issues that you are bringing up in mind? Have you um, ever been treated? Um, well, answer that. <laughs> no, no, go ahead, Pamela. You, you oh, I'm just saying ahead. that, I mean, I, I know a lot of people have brought that up to me, even thinking that, you know, porn is a way to learn how to make love or there is some kind of positive side to porn, and I, I disagree. I really think that, um, you know, porn addiction is a, is a terrible um, disease, and it is infecting our relationships. And I feel, have you ever been treated like a porn star in a, in a um, loving, in a, in a sexual um, situation, or to be, you know, spit on and slapped and called names? It really is terrible, terrible sex, and it's um, traumatic, and as much as we all want to pretend we're cool and play into it sometimes and get out of there and, and you know, uh, however we want to respond to that, it's not something I think that feels good, and and it is, um, I don't see how you can learn any good thing from watching porn and desensitizing yourself, because people need um, stronger imagery, different imagery, weirder imagery to get aroused. You know, there's some people out there that have 
not been able to have a sexual relationship with a human being because porn addiction is so um, is such an addiction and and has is, interfered so much. So I know it sounds crazy coming from me, Playboy Playmate. You know, there was a tape stolen from my house and you know exploited all over the world, um, but. I really do believe that, and I prefer loving, committed relationships and, and sex within a with intimacy than to be um, used as a blow-up doll, you know. Or, sure. you know, uh, and I and I really found that this was really starting to be very important to me as I talk to friends and girlfriends. It's really resonating, and you know, Shmuley and I became good friends, and and we've been talking about this, thinking this is a revolution. We need a sensual revolution. We need to learn how to make love again. We are going down a really scary, slippery rabbit hole of porn and quick, you know. Um, you know, fast food kind of thing. And there's no, you know, people have, have a prostitute. There's no reciprocal um, playing going on. It's all self-serving. And it's teaching really poor, bad behavior. It's also people are taking more Viagra and Cialis because it takes more to get aroused by a human being. And so, you know, it just seems like we need to all have that conversation with ourselves. It's not a dictatorship. No one wants government to get involved. And everyone loves this freedom of speech and freedom of whatever. But I think we all need to look at our own um, ourselves and, and, and kind of just take stock and start before, it, you know, I had so many people complain about this. So I'm complaining about it too. So yeah. <laughs> I'm hoping to start this conversation and it seems to be going well. And and Pamela, I do think, you know, as you said yourself, I think you are a really interesting person to be starting <laughs> this conversation, not only because of your, you know, history of you know, being a playmate and everything like that. But because I think oftentimes the conversation about porn being bad comes from a very sex negative place. And you are obviously a very sex positive person. And you, you know, said sex is healthy and sex can be fun. Um, And I think we don't often hear that I think usually porn is bad comes from people that seem like they also hate sex and are like maybe weird and repressed. <laughs> so it's interesting to hear you come at it from a more sex positive point of view. But I guess this is a long way of saying, do you feel like you had to sort of draw like a hard line in the sand to sort of say, you know, all porn is bad? And I guess the analogy that I'm thinking in my head is sort of like, you know, we know that people struggle with alcohol addiction to use a really obvious example but most of us still understand that people can go to bars and have a drink without having a problem so you know why make such a line in the sand and come out so strong against it well it's it's an addiction and it just is to take stock in your own behavior i i don't believe you know we all have to decide what in ourselves what is porn first of all because i don't really consider playboy porn you know i'm thinking of the the darkness the um you know when your husband's locked in his bathroom with his computer and you know you have a woman lying in bed in lingerie i don't get that um how that works you know and those are the complaints that i hear and so i think it's you know the the different women the different you know the the variety of women whatever it is i think that we need to start practicing i think what um even you know Shmuley calls mental fidelity, which is really making that person in your life responsible for that part of your life and making that person the hot and sexy person that, you know, you can end on and have intimacy. And um, uh, I think that's kind of getting lost because there's these, you know, easy easy ways to access everything. And in this kind of technological age, we have so much access. So we have to... Um, just, just think about it because it's, it's, it's rampant and it's, um, like you said, some people can go have a drink in a bar and be okay with it. Some people can't. So are you, which one are you? And just to take notice so your relationship doesn't suffer yeah. and you don't lose the person that's most important to you and your family. And um, you grow old with someone and, and you're able to have a 
incredible life with a sexy partner. You know, love takes work, and so does sex. You know, you have to make it interesting. You have to make it fun. You have to, you know, put some effort in. And I guess it's a lot easier to click on a computer screen. <laughs> you know, that's you see, that's 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 uh, what what Pamela's saying. I think is the, is the key. This isn't about a morality play where we're condemning porn for religious reasons. The sexual revolution promised us great sex. It promised us a lot of sex. The problem is it didn't deliver. Sex is dying in the American bedroom. Couples are having sex once a week for seven to ten minutes at a time. Women are not feeling very sexual. They're feeling, a lot of them are feeling exploited. The problem with pornography is that it doesn't give us what we want because we want two things in every great sexual relationship. We want passion, which is fire, and we want intimacy, which is closeness, this bond. Now, when you're becoming excited about someone that is not you, when you're the two of you having to be excited by kind of a third party, it might bring a little bit of passion, but it compromises intimacy. And it doesn't feel good when it's all over. And it doesn't lead to these lasting relationships. And it doesn't lead to great sex. If porn gave us the great sex that we wanted, if porn was conducive to this, electrif- this electrifying erotic uh, impulse that connected people, then, you know, then it works. But, it, but it's not. That's the whole thing. Men are becoming addicted to porn, to images, to screens. They're not making love to their wives. They're sitting they're looking at computer screens late at night when they've got a live, real woman whom they love in their bed next to them. And that's kind of weird. So you don't so think porn can play a role in anybody's healthy sex life? Because I've heard from several couples oh, I, who say they watch it together and it makes them feel closer because they get to experience a unique part of what their partner likes and they get to then try it out together. So it does have that passion and that element of intimacy. Yeah, we're not arguing that we're not arguing for some draconian dark ages medieval rule that says that porn is terrible. Uh, sure, there are couples that it, 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 they, who will argue that it brings them this degree of passion, excitement, uh, it uh, enlivens a moribund relationship. What we're talking about is addiction. The problem is it grows and it becomes not something which is a stimulant to their love. It actually becomes a substitute. It's when porn becomes a substitute for a healthy relationship, which is becoming increasingly uh, uh, common because uh, all these studies show men start looking at 15 minutes, then a half an hour, then an hour a day, and suddenly they're not making love to their wives. So, of course, there are couples who will say that it's benefiting them, but there are a lot more wives that will tell you that it's not benefiting them. So we're talking about the addiction. We're talking about where well, this is becoming so rampant, but there hasn't been a conversation about it. And what we're trying to do we're not arguing for censorship. We're not arguing that there should... Uh, we're arguing for people to have a conversation about this. We need an erotic society, but not a fraudulently erotic society where eroticism is about cheap, tawdry sex. A real eroticism is where you connect mentally and spiritually and romantically, and you have this electric bond that just has you gravitate toward one another, and sparks fly. I, yeah, I mean, I'm definitely... I'm fighting for better sex. I'm fighting for much more <laughs> sexy. So I'm not trying to be foolish. We're actually being the opposite. I want more wild, Completely. crazy, uninhibited, intimate sex. <laughs> yeah, I love that. I know. I'm like, electric sex. This is sounding exciting. Yeah, full-body contact. You know, yeah. what's happening? You're just like real, you know, being connected to somebody and their eyes and their spirit and their energy and, and commitment, too. So, you know, it's... um. I think that we're, it's actually the opposite of what people are thinking, but the, I think porn is, is, it does the opposite of what people expect, and you kind of find yourself in situations where maybe you feel, you know, I don't feel comfortable with this, but I'm going to do this because I don't want to look like a prude, when really, you're just 
a human being and you expect that attention on yourself, with each other, and there's just tricks to it all. I mean, I've got to experience some wonderful um, relationships and a wonderful time when I was at the Playboy Mansion. And, you know, this is before, um, you know, um, cell phones and things like that. I don't know. We just had, all had each other's attention. I just really thought it was a, it was a free-spirited kind of very sensual time. And it wasn't um, as sleazy as people think. So... Well, um, I actually think that's a kind of interesting point to bring up, though, because I totally hear you and I agree with you guys that it's a bit of a cop out to say in all instances people are watching porn because it's educational or to learn about sex. I mean, that's not that's not the case. We can all agree that's not the case. But, you know, you it is exposure to sex and it is a way to sort of like understand what's happening. And I sort of wonder again, and I know you guys are talking about porn addiction you're not talking about every person or every couple, but you know, how do people learn about sex and gain exposure to it? I mean, of course, through your partner, but you know, Pamela, like not everyone has a chance to go to the Playboy Mansion. (laughs) And like, (laughs) I mean, maybe we need like more, you know, definitely we, we've done a lot of episodes on the podcast about sex clubs and sex parties, and I think that's becoming more popular. But it's hard to imagine that that kind of environment really being mainstream. So I guess what do you... Well, I had I had actually better sex before I came to L.A., before I kind of was, um you know, I don't know, I was going to say put in this position, but I've just, for people, you know, before, I was, it was very creative, very romantic, and I don't know how I figured it out, but, you know, I just did with a human being, and, and I, and I, um, you know, had this wild spirit and insatiable, you know, appetite for love and, and romance and, and creativity, and it wasn't, I didn't have to watch porn to figure out how to do it. And when I came to Playboy, you know, a lot of people that were there were, were similar to me, where they're very open and, and, you know, but, you know, friendly and, and, you know, what was, I always say Playboy was like my university. I learned a lot while I was up there. <laughs> it wasn't mostly about art and, you know, philanthropy and, and, and it was intellectuals at the Playboy Mansion, believe it or not. So, and, um, so, I think that you don't need to Google everything to learn mm-hmm. how to do it. I think you, yeah. it's a natural progression and it's, you know, it's, it's a, we've all, that's how we're all here. We all know how to make love or there wouldn't be any people on the planet. I don't think it's yeah, I, um, necessary. I would even, I would even take it further. See, the reason why porn gives us bad sex is that sex is a celebration of the senses. It's a celebration of the sound of sex, the sense of sex, of the feel of sex. Porn is only about the sight of sex. It's, it, it reduces our five senses to the visual alone. And women are becoming, uh, it's like firing on one cylinder. You've got a car that only fires on one cylinder. Porn is all about an addiction to the visual. And it also makes sexual practice. Like if you're saying, don't we have to watch porn to learn how to, how to, how to make love? It's the exact opposite is true. I think porn is incredibly boring. It just shows the same positions, the same four or five positions every single time same rabbit-like motions. It's not about sensuality. It's not even that exciting. And the, and the, the way to prove it is porn is only exciting in, in variety, in vast quantity. It's when you click one, a picture of one woman and then 10,000 others pop up, or so my friends tell me. <laughs> uh, that, was, that was supposed to be funny. Anyway, um, and, 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 and then suddenly women think, I have to look like a porn star. I have to make love like a porn star. If you watch porn, you would really believe that there's only four ways to make love. There's only four positions, and you have to, like, it's, it's, it's like a checklist. It's, you're an automaton. You're a robot. You're going through these motions. 
And the reason why sex is the most pleasurable of all human experiences, the reason why it is so liberating, is that it's the only time where we submit entirely to instinct. It's when we're no longer having a conscious response. It's when we're no longer making this, this effort to, to do. We submit entirely to being instead of doing. And porn does the opposite. It tells us, oh, but you didn't do this and you didn't do that. And you're supposed to look this way and that way. And it makes you incredibly inhibited. It makes you incredibly self-conscious. Well, I think this is a good point to bring up that the piece that the two of you wrote for the for um, the Wall Street Journal, primary and most of actually our conversation so far has focused on the consumption of porn by men. But I feel like we haven't really addressed the fact, and we know this at Cosmo because we hear it from our readers all the time that like a lot of women watch porn, um, and we are actually talking to somebody on the show, a woman who is talking about her own porn addiction. So certainly that can happen there too. But I do feel like we're primarily talking about this as if men are the ones, you know, locked in the bathroom with the laptop and women are sort of um, suffering in all of this. But do you feel the same way about women who watch porn? Yeah, I I think it's, I'm not trying to actually put it on women or men or any, you know, sexual preference either. Mm -hmm. I have a lot of gay friends, too, who watch porn and have, um, you know, we've had this conversation, and they feel the same way, that, you know, that's just kind of um, something that that they need to watch. They realize, oh, gosh, we're watching too much of it, and, and we're actually becoming more distant. And so it's a conversation I'm having with a lot of people, women, men, gay couples, and and everyone seems to be resonating with this sensuality, bringing sensuality back, bringing sexy back, bringing, um, you know, just reminding ourselves because we have so much access to monitor ourselves and to actually practice some kind of self-control so we can still stay in love and fall in love and, and have great great intimacy and sex. So that's my goal, <laughs> it's just to keep people talking about it because it seems like it's going down quickly. And Pamela, you've talked, you know, with so much respect for, you know, your past and living in the Playboy Mansion and everything like that. And for, you know, your iconic photo shoots and sort of really being a sex symbol in our culture for decades now. Do you feel do you regret any of that? Do you have a different point of view on it now than you did, you know, 10 years ago? Well, I never lived in the Playboy Mansion. I was there just, you know, on quite a few nights, but I um, <laughs> I don't regret it at all. I really loved my Playboy experience, and it's bittersweet that it's over, but porn killed Playboy, too. And nothing, you know, the girl next door, you know, partially dressed, kind of this voyeurism and this kind of cheekiness, that's why I think people have to kind of see within themselves what they consider porn. I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm um, you know, like you look at the magazine, I think have to the right thing, he gave up the magazine. It's like he can't mm-hmm. compete with this. And, and it's um, it's not what he intended and what he went into it for, you know. So he's kind of, it just shows you that it's, it's just taking a darker turn. But isn't that fascinating when you think about it, Pamela's uh, <laughs> statement that uh, porn killed Playboy? Think about that. I mean, here you have the most iconic... Uh, nude magazine, uh, Entertainment for Men, this, this famous line, being killed off by over-explicitness, which kind of demonstrates the point. You know, you start of a little bit, and then, then people need more and more and more, until the essentials of erotic attraction, a little bit of mystery, a little bit of sinfulness, a little bit of, of uh, what lies beneath the hood, when that's all gone, and it's just explicitness, you then become addicted not to... Uh, a, a, a kind of woman, uh, one woman, 
whose whose body uh, can excite you, but you become addicted to womankind. You need a vast variety of women. And that's what we're seeing also even in the presidential race. I mean, here you have these very powerful men, and they have beautiful wives, smart wives, intelligent wives, but guess what? It's never enough. It's never enough. And doesn't a woman want to be enough? Doesn't a man want to be enough? Isn't that the essence of a relationship? That I go into a relationship, marriage... Yeah, to be desired, to feel adequate, to feel special, to feel unique. And this, this insatiability, sexual insatiability is really a demonstration that none of it is satisfying because it's so, it's so cheap, it's so flimsy, it's so unidimensional. We need erotic sex, sex that engages the mind, sex that engages the spirit, sex that is so all-consuming and so overpowering that, that it just controls us, but not... A porn addiction, that's not love. That's something fictional. It's something fraudulent. I also worry that people do need more and more to get aroused, and it leads to there's violent porn, there's violence against women, there's, um, you know, um, child abuse, rape, all those things. And I know I'm not blaming porn for it, but it it doesn't help Mm -hmm. people that have mental illness or people that create or or gain a mental illness by maybe this porn addiction. Um, And I think that's a big deal too that's really important to think about well thank you both so much this is so this is so interesting (laughs) and um i'm glad you guys started this conversation and i'm glad we can keep it going on cosmo because we talk about sex all day long so this is very important (laughs) to us yay we love you too and definitely i think we can all agree passionate electric mind-blowing all the other ways you just described it sex sounds like a good goal to work toward so thank you both for joining us thank you Thank you very much for having us. And I've written a book called Kosher Sex and Kosher Lust, and, and uh, we're working on a book together, uh, me and Pamela. And I think Pamela's insights are extremely powerful because she's been there. She knows this subject through and through, and there's a, an authority and a credibility she brings to it, not to mention the insights. And uh, it's actually, every time I do an interview with Pamela, I'm actually fascinated to hear what she has to say. It's remarkable. I am fascinated by both of you. Keep us posted on when the book comes out. Thanks thank so you. much, guys. Okay, thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. Our next guest is a friend of the podcast and is here to tell us why it is okay to watch porn. Please welcome back our good friend, Dr. Jess O'Reilly. Hi, Dr. Jess. How are you? Good. I have to tell you, you are joining a particularly explosive (laughs) episode of the podcast. We actually just got off the phone with Pamela Anderson and her rabbi, who I don't know if you saw the piece they wrote recently in the Wall Street Journal. Yes, but came out um, very strongly against watching porn. Um, And they just chatted with us a little bit about why they believe that. Um, So, like, now we're all feeling nervous. So we need you (laughs) to tell us, like, is it okay to watch porn? Well, I want to say this. I think that uh, Pamela Anderson and her rabbi have a very valid perspective for themselves. They have a very valid perspective based on experience, but not expertise. So I think that if you feel that way about porn, you absolutely should not watch porn. But (laughs) if you don't feel that way about porn, if you're turned on by porn, if you find that you enjoy it, if you find that it brings the couple closer together, then absolutely it can be a part of a healthy relationship. And let me tell you this. There are millions of healthy relationships across the world, despite the fact that porn has been on the rise in terms of accessibility and volume. So marriages are not falling apart because of porn. We've, in fact, seen a decline 
in the divorce rate. We see happy marriages regardless of porn. The reality is almost every single one of us has watched porn, and we're all okay. <laughs> we are going to be okay. Now, the resolution that or the belief that uh, you know porn is a public health hazard is really grounded in fear and to some degree erotophobia, meaning the fear of sex itself. So if you view sexual pleasure as a public health hazard or something dangerous, it follows that porn will, of course, also be classified as a public health hazard. But if you realize that, you know, health is more complex and a healthy relationship is more nuanced than one particular set of behaviors or one particular activity, and you realize that I think some of us see porn as a, as a moral issue, but morality is about how you treat others. It's not about a specific behavior you engage in. It's really clear to me that porn and a, and a really wide range of sex acts they're not unhealthy. They're not immoral. One of the challenges is that we equate sex with morality, and sex itself isn't just about morality. Morality is about how you treat other people. It's not about a specific behavior you engage in once, twice, or a hundred times. Porn can be healthy, and it can be unhealthy. Some people do use it too much, but I want to say this, and again, I want to validate every person's experience. If porn is a problem in your relationship, then that problem is real. But I want you to challenge yourself, and this is a very difficult thing to do, to really dig deep and say, is porn the problem or is porn the easily recognizable symptom of the problem? Is it really about the fact that you do not communicate your needs to one another? Is it really about the fact that you are not compatible? Is it about the fact that it's easier to go click on the internet and go on a porn site than to reach out to your partner when you're feeling angry at one another, when you want to reconnect, but there has been a disconnect over time. So oftentimes, porn is a symptom as opposed, as opposed to the core problem. Completely. I think it's so much to do with how we use it, right? And I, there's this argument that keeps getting spewed around that, like, it's naturally addictive and you need more and more and more and more and more to feel satisfied. And quite frankly, I feel like that's bullshit. I think there's porn that makes you feel bad about yourself. I think there's porn that, like, isn't healthy for women to watch, not good for our self-esteem, not good for, you know, men to get an understanding of the way to treat women. But I think there's healthy porn out there. Like, if you've ever heard, and I'm sure you have, of Cindy Gallup and her Make Love Not Porn TV project, that's real couples who are mostly anonymous, sometimes not, literally filming themselves wide-angle lens, not those, like, close-up smash cut to your genitals, just making love to each other. Real couples just having sex in a way that feels good. And it's a subscription service, and there are things like that out there that are healthy alternatives to, like, the garbage that people do come out reacting so strongly against. There's bad porn out there, and there's good porn. And it's really just who you are in your relationship and how you use it. It's also... Exactly. Yeah. And, and, it's, and it, even, I want to say, even some of that bad porn, the porn that doesn't serve as a, you know, positive or accurate representation of what most sex looks like, it can still be a turn-on. Like, human beings, adults, are able to differentiate between something that makes them feel good and something they want in real life. So oh, you can yeah. be turned on by something that, you know, is at odds with your political or personal identity. And you can say, oh, you know what, this escape right now, it turns me on. It's kind of like the idea of being spanked in bed. It's fun. Do I want my husband to spank me because I'm bad? No, of course not. <laughs> right? It's a sexual fantasy to which I consent. And porn is a part of that fantasy. And it's ultimately underscored by consent. I also think, you know, 
basically my entire understanding of addiction is like comparing to movies or things I've read about people who are addicted to alcohol because we recognize that as being an addiction but I think to draw a parallel between that like you could have a night where you accidentally drink too much and you get wasted and bomb but that doesn't mean this is some like permanent level you've reached where now you must always from that point on in time drink that same amount because you're addicted you know and of course some people are addicted and blah 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 but I think it's sort of you know I think that nuance with porn was a little bit lost that like yes maybe are there there are some kind of porn you know there are some some insatiability to watching porn or something <laughs> but if you watch one thing that's like a little more hardcore than what you would usually watch that doesn't mean you're permanently altered as a human yeah being. that doesn't like up the stakes for ever. like I might watch like a really rough sex clip but and that doesn't all you can yeah, ever watch it doesn't again, mean Ellie. that it's like only up from there like right. w- there's no that's ending that's a really good point yeah I, I think that there's this fear that we have to continue with escalation when it comes to sex and again that goes back to uh the root, which is erotophobia. We're afraid of sex itself, so we're afraid of anything that has to do with sex. But just because you've done something once doesn't mean, A, that you want to do it again, and B, that you need to push the envelope even farther the next time. You might decide, and I can tell you, you know, from my own life and from my client's life, we, we kind of go in and out, and it ebbs and flows. Sometimes you want to be a bit edgier, and sometimes you just want vanilla sex and cuddling and I love you, and that's perfectly fine. It's a really good point, but just because you see it once or you see something that's a little bit more extreme or edgy, it doesn't mean you're going to need more and more of it. And I mean, I've said this before, but sex addiction has you know, repeatedly been rejected as a formal diagnosis by the APA. They've repeatedly rejected its inclusion in the DSM due to a lack of scientific evidence. And uh, I know that you know, sex addiction and porn addiction are profitable industries, and I do not dispute the fact that people have issues around compulsion, but it's not a recognized addiction, okay? It's not a formal diagnosis. And you make a great point around alcohol that you can abuse alcohol once, and it doesn't necessarily make you an abuser of alcohol. We've all drank too much. Well, many of us <laughs> have drank too much and said, oh, I wish I didn't have that last glass of wine last night. Right. It doesn't mean that I'm going to do the same thing tonight. And we, we really have to recognize that this is a term that gets thrown in, around. It's uh, really strongly rooted in pop psychology. And, and I really think it's important to differentiate between experience and what the data says. If you have a specific experience and you believe it, then it's perfectly valid. But you don't want to generalize that to everybody else. And that, you know, that's why we have experts who are combing through the data. That's why we have peer-reviewed studies. And we have peer-reviewed studies that show, for instance, that um, men, because they're the primary consumers of porn, they're not desensitized to regular or vanilla sex if they watch too much porn. This is an idea that has been widely circulated and accepted as a reasonable theory, but uh, you know, a recent study looked at, um, at 280 men whose porn consumption varied, I think, from zero to 25 hours per week. And what they found was there was no positive correlation between porn consumption and desensitization or arousal or erectile dysfunction issues. So it's, it's easy to say this could happen, and it could happen, but it's, it's like anything. You know, it's money can be a problem, but we're not going to eradicate it altogether. Uh, food. People have unhealthy relationships with food. We don't say, well, food is a public health hazard. We have to eradicate food altogether. No. Porn works for many people, as evidenced by the fact that if there's a proliferation of it, it's more acceptable than it's ever been. We see lower rates of sexual assault. We see a decrease in violent crime, we see a correlation between men who consume porn and having more egalitarian attitudes toward women in both sexes. So it's easy to say this makes sense, but I think that we need to stop, you know, responding with feelings and fear and really look at the data. 
can really look at well i'm so glad you um we're on to be able to say all of that science because I think that is so important. Although I will also say that watching 25 hours of porn a, a week sounds like a lot. Yeah. Just I to know. throw it back to that survey you mentioned. But, you know, I yeah. think that that really proves your point that the guy watching 25 hours of porn a week doesn't necessarily have, um, you know, a decreased arousal compared to somebody that's watching one hour. But that's still right. a lot. Yeah. Just throwing my hours. There's a lot you could exactly. do with those 25 yeah. hours. Yeah. Just, you know. Hours that must interfere with your week. Like yeah. Yeah. something becomes a problem when it's interfering with your ability to function in your regular life, in your relationships, in your job. And 25 hours of anything is a lot, right? 25 hours of going to the gym sounds extreme to me. And I, I mean, porn is not for everyone, but there are couples, especially, who really benefit from watching porn. Like we know that couples who watch porn together report that they have higher levels not only of sexual satisfaction but sexual knowledge because they start talking about things. And then it helps them to set their own boundaries. And porn is not designed as a form of education. We all know that, all right? It's not made to um, be a source of learning. However, it can help us, I think, to teach our partners what we do and do don't like. Like if I were to turn on you porn right now and go to the, I don't know, the first one on the page, and open it up, and the pizza guy comes in, and he starts banging her. I can turn that on and say to my husband, like, this is not how it works, man. Let me show you how it actually works. So I think it's a really good starting point to inspire conversations that couples may not have otherwise had. And I think in some cases it can actually be there's a moment of silliness, and I think that sort of <laughs> humor of it can be also you know get you in the mood <laughs> I yeah i completely cool agree because a lot of it is pretty laughable right, <laughs> right exactly well thank you so much dr Doss. we always appreciate having you on the show and especially on this very controversial <laughs> episode thank you so much my pleasure have a great one you too bye 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 Allie. Elisa. <laughs> <laughs> at various points, I was staring at you across the room, and you were, like, fuming at some points <laughs> and, like, nodding at some points and laughing at some points. Like, I think I need you to sum up, like, what you learned today. It's been an emotional roller coaster for me today. I won't lie. Like, I am very pro-porn when it's, like, porn that lifts people up instead of, like, tearing people down. And I agree there's different things out there that's going to do it for different people. And man, it's just, it's really hard for me to hear a hard line on anything when I find myself in the middle. Like, I don't think it's like super clear that we should stop it because it's always going to lead to addiction. And I don't think it's like 100% this can be addicting and destroy your life. I think it's on such a personal level. So it was just fascinating to hear everybody's perspective today. This was this was truly fascinating. I feel like I don't even know what to think anymore. Um, and I, I do feel like, and, you know, I understand because I feel like Pamela Anderson and her rabbi really do feel like they are starting this conversation. And I feel like sometimes when you feel like you're coming out there with a strong point of view, you need to do that. You need yeah. to have a strong point They're of view. They're speaking their truth. They're speaking their truth. And so I do think there is a sense of them coming out with a very strong position on this and really feeling like they need to, like, draw a line. Um, but, you know, Pamela Anderson has a really interesting perspective on this. And it's so clear from talking to her that she's you know, re remains a very sex positive person. Oh, yeah. um, so I felt like that was really interesting. And then we talked to Lauren, who was like the happiest, most cheerful porn addict in the world. <laughs> but I think she made a good point about that is like she's not necessarily the person that you think of when you talk about, you know, even the entire conversation that right. we had. And I think what was so fascinating for me is that like 
yes, there was a point in her life when she felt like she needed the porn, but she was really aware of the other issues going on surrounding it. So that therapy helped her unpack the situations in her life that led her to this. Exactly, which I think was a nice callback to Dr. Jess saying that is the porn addiction, is that really the problem or is that a symptom of something else, which I think Lauren basically said. Exactly. You know, the, the issues that she was dealing with with her sexuality and her you know, coming of age and identity. I'm not a therapist. I'm not a therapist either. You know, she sort of, I think, exactly played into what Dr. Jess was saying. Yeah. So anyway, porn, it's fine. Or it's not. (laughs) You decide. Choose your own adventure. (laughs) Well, Allie, as always, thank you so much for joining us. And um, people should check out all the amazing work and all the provocative and controversial and enlightening and helpful stories that your team runs every day on (laughs) Cosmopolitan.com. We like to keep it interesting. You do like to keep it interesting. I like the one that went up today about men who love the smell of vaginas. Oh, my God. Me, too. Yeah. Maybe that'll be a future episode. Right. Pussy's had a bad week. (laughs) We had to get that back up into the public consciousness in a good way. You're doing God's work, Allie. Um, and Allie, where is the best place for people to um, tweet at you and follow you beyond reading the work that your team does every day on the site? You can get me on Twitter and Instagram at Allie underscore Drucker. And as always, you guys, I'm at Elisa Benson on Insta and Twitter and Snapchat and whatever. And I love when I hear from you guys that you love listening to the podcast every week. So thank you so much for tuning in. We have these conversations about porn just for you. As always, please subscribe if you like the podcast. Please share it and like it and rate it and send it to your friends. Send it to your boyfriend. I feel like this is a sexy Mm. episode to share with a boyfriend. Hey, baby, you want to listen to some people talking about porn and then maybe watch them? Right. There you go. Report back. We nailed your foreplay we know your foreplay you're welcome <laughs> um we'll tune in to us next week to if this was foreplay then next week we'll have to be <laughs> something even better oh god <laughs> thanks guys so much see you next week <laughs> bye This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.